98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Coming off the court, you hear it straight from a Suns player with Burns and Gambo. Presented by First Bank. First Bank is proud to be the official bank of the Phoenix Suns. First Bank, banking for good. Member FDIC. Every Tuesday, it's always a pleasure for us at 3 o'clock to welcome in a member of the Phoenix Suns organization, one of the players on the floor. And it's a treat to have this guy back on our airwaves talking Suns basketball with us. Joining us right now here on the Burns and Gambo Show, Frank the Tank, Frank Kaminsky, who joins us here on Burns and Gambo. Frank, welcome back to the show. I hope this phone call finds you well. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Well, you've really you've really found a home here. Three straight one year contracts. The coaching staff loves you. You've you know, you did leave short term to go out to Sacramento and then you were able to come back with the Phoenix Suns. But what is it about Phoenix where you feel like this is a good role for you playing with Monty? Um, well I just think he believes in me and that that's huge. That's everything for me. Um, you know, he's confident in what I can do. He trusts me putting me on the floor and just lets me go play and and that's a big thing. You can't ask for much more as a player. You know, I want to go back to the Atlanta game because I saw some – you had a great game against the Hawks. You know, DeAndre's out. You come in, 16 points, six rebounds, four assists. You came in when McGee got poked in the eye in the first quarter. But I really saw some things special with your defense. I mean, late in that game, you forced Trey Young into a bad shot. That was a big play in the game. Um, then you got that dunk on the other end on the pass from McHale. But uh, just how much have you worked on that defensive side uh, of your game? Because there were some big plays you've made defensively in these last few games. Um, I've worked a ton on it. Um, I know that's been something that I've needed to get better at in my career. Um, you know, it's just all about being able to move laterally. Obviously, you know, when you compare my defense to DeAndre's defense, they're not really comparable. But, um, you know, for everyone else out on the court, when you're playing that center position, you got to be able to move your feet and keep people in front of you. So it's just been a big point of emphasis for me to just be able to do that and I feel like so far this season and with the work I've put in in the last couple of years I've been able to go out and showcase that. Frank Kaminsky our guest here on the Burns and Gambo show uh the Sun Center joining us here on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station uh did you ever imagine you'd get to a point in your career where Chris Paul would call you a point guard's dream a guy who knows how to play the pocket is that uh when he said that about you after I think it was the Hawks game did, did that did your ears perk up on that one? Absolutely. Um, you know, we talk a lot, obviously, you know, Chris being in the ball screen so much and, you know, every NBA team just running pick and rolls all the time. He's in constant communication with the bigs on our team about things he's seeing, what we should be doing. And, you know, for me, it's just being able to, to read how things are going and just go out there and make a play without having to say anything about it. And, you know, that's a big part of our system. A part of the way we play offense is just being able to read and make plays and, you know, that's something that's kind of come natural for me. So it's it's good that Chris and I kind of have that um, relationship so far early on in the season, and hopefully we can keep it going through the rest of the year. Do you, do you feel like you had that with him last year, or, or is this a relatively new thing for the two of you with what you're working on at practice together? Um, I feel like there were glimpses of it last year, but obviously, you know, with me going and being in and out of the rotation a lot last year, um, you know, you don't always get to, you know, build on it. You know, there might be a game here and there where you're, it feels like it clicks, but this year it just feels like it, it's working and it's clicking and I understand what he's looking for and I know how to play off of it. You know, any situation, however, they're defending the ball screen, 
you know, what they're trying to do defensively, whether it's take him out, not let him get to his mid-range, trying to blitz him to get the ball out of his hands. There's just so many different ways and so many different things that teams have thrown at him so far this year, and it's just being able to read and react without having to talk about it or have any breakdowns. Look, there's no doubt that that guy loves to play the game, but I've been noticing this for, for a couple of years now with him in his second year. Uh, he seems to really enjoy playing with the second unit. Do you, do you get that feeling? Absolutely. Um you know, it's different. You know, the second unit, you know, especially for us, we kind of move the ball around a little bit more. Um, the ball's hopping. You know, it's he gets a little bit more freedom to command everything that's going on. Um, you know, it's just fun. You know, and that's a good thing about our team. You know, so far this year, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll go in and the starters will start off slow and the second unit will come in and, and inject kind of energy into our offense. There's been games where the second unit has brought us back. It's just kind of pick your poison with our team and you know we have a lot of guys that can play and play at a high level and and whoever's on the court I know is just trying to go hard so that's that's part of our culture and you know trying to get back to where we were last year yeah there's no doubt that that second unit has ignited a bunch of victories last night was a little different right because last night you have the big third quarter you guys are up 22 going into the fourth. You come out, and it's, the, it's, it's, it's you, and it's Campaign, and Cam Johnson, and Landry, and Abdul. And unfortunately, they had to put the starters back in with about five minutes left. I know you guys take a lot of, pray, a lot of pride in trying to finish that game out, but they had to bring back the starters. What were some of the issues that second unit had last night in allowing Sacramento to get back in the game? Um, they just started playing in desperation mode, and we kind of— got a little relaxed, turned the ball over a few times, gave them a little bit of confidence, and then it just kind of built from there. Um, you know, we talked about it after the game. You know, we got to be better better in those situations and putting games away. Um, you know, just so we know what it feels like again this year. You know, we built ourselves a big lead last night and then just didn't put it away. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate to come out of there with a win. But, you know, in those situations, we definitely got to be better. Frank Kaminsky, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Suns beat the Sacramento Kings last night. They've won five straight games now on the season, and and Frank has had a big role in four of those five, playing a lot of minutes, and three of them in particular with no DeAndre Ayton. Not looking for breaking news here or anything, but just curious. Do you you have a sense in terms of how much longer kind of this run is going to go without Ayton and how they're going to kind of lean on you during this time where they may not have them? Have they communicated that to you at all? Um, you know, just kind of taking it day by day. You know, I'm not sure, you know, the extent of what he's feeling. Obviously, that's that's him. Uh, that's his body. But, um, you know, I know he wants to be back out there. He's very – I think you guys know DeAndre at this point. He's very vocal. Um, you know, he's very excitable, very enthusiastic, and I know he wants to be out there playing and – you know, it's early on in the season, so I want to make sure he's 100% healthy before, you know, going out there. Because this is a tough stretch for us. There's a lot of games in a short amount of time. Sure. And just want to make sure that he's healthy and he's comfortable going back out there on the floor. You know, we talk about it. You guys have won five games in a row. You haven't played the best competition, but you've won five games in a row to get back on track. How, how do you look at this stretch? I mean, obviously, you probably feel like you need to play better, but... You know, in these five games, you have found ways to win these games. Where do you think you guys are right now? I think, you know, I think we're building. Um, You know, obviously coming off of last year, there's an expectation of the level that you want to play at. And, you know, in some regards, you know, it feels like we haven't really played up to that level. But, you know, it's early on in the season. You know, we're coming off a a long run with a short offseason. 
Uh, it's just getting back into it. And I think we've shown a lot in these games, especially these last couple games where we've had lulls in games and been able to, you know, find it, pull it out, you know, get the stops when we need to make the big plays. And, and I think that's something big for us going forward because that was something we held our uh, hats on last year was just being able to make the right plays, the winning plays all the time. And I think that's something we've shown in this this last four or five games. Uh, you're a few years removed, but I know Wisconsin does play tonight against St. Francis College of Brooklyn. Do you do you watch that game or no? Uh, yeah, I'm going to tune in to see. Um, you know, I'm not going to put too much stock in it. You know, I remember going back into college when there was the tune-up games early in the season. Uh, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because I don't know anything about St. Francis Brooklyn. So <laughs> I don't know if they're like a good team or I don't I don't know anything about them. So I don't want to get on here and saying it's going to be an easy cakewalk and then just have it be something completely different. But you still follow along though, right? You still go back and watch the the alma mater play when you can. Absolutely. You know, when I got when we're not playing and they're on TV, I always throw it on and watch. You know, you, you still feel a special sense of pride to your school and in what you accomplished there. So yeah, I, I love to tune in and know what's going on. Yeah, well, I, I know you're definitely a fan favorite with a lot of Suns fans every time you come into the game. Uh, so thanks for carving out a few minutes of your Tuesday to join us for uh, here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Frank, we wish you the very best this season. I'm sure we'll catch up with you at some point since it's such a long year. Thank you for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Frank. Got a Frank Kaminsky joining us here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Suns, as I mentioned, have won five straight games and Frank Kaminsky has played a big role yes in in he's gotten a lot of minutes in three of those five games filling in for DeAndre Ayton and two of them particularly played really really take a guy you take a guy like that that was one of the best players in all the college basketball when he played college player of the year a couple of you know appearances in the in the championship game he was so great him and Sam Decker what it's such a good team and now it's just can I carve out a niche? That just shows you how hard the NBA is mm-hmm. to make it. Can I carve out a niche as a good role player in this league for a guy that was one of the best players in all of college basketball for a couple of years? FanDuel Fan Fest is the biggest party in sports, and it heads to Westworld of Scottsdale on December 11th. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for your chance for complete details and to claim your free tickets. When we come back... What would you have thought would be a weakness for the Cardinals this season has instead been a tremendous asset, and it isn't just five guys on the line. In fact, it's way more than five guys on the line. We'll explain next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Back here with you on the Burns and Gambo Show, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station at Cardinals Offensive Line. And we have spent a lot of time, a lot of time this season, talking about how good that offensive line has been. And one thing I think we failed to consider when talking about how good that Cardinals offensive line has been is how many moving parts there have been on the line. Surprisingly, so many moving parts there have been on the line. I know you you kind of dug huh. into this a little bit, and i got to admit, in your email to me, I was surprised by how much variance there has been on the Cardinals' offensive line and who they've run out there this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, you start to go through it. Um, after nine games, this was in a, a terrific story, and I'll tell you where I saw it in a it was second. Sports but Illustrated, right? I don't know. There was, was it SI? I'll have to take a look. But, yeah, it was Sports Illustrated. And after nine games, the Cardinals have had 611 offensive snaps. Okay, 611 nine games. DJ Humphreys uh, is at 97.7%. Josh Jones is at 91.3% of those snaps. They're the only players that have participated in at least 90%. 
Justin Pugh is at 83.3. Beecham's at 64.5. Hudson's at 62.5. Garcia's at 51. Harlow's at 28.3. And Murray's at 14.7. And you start to think about the offensive line and continuity and everybody playing together. Haven't had it. You haven't had all these guys playing together. I mean, you go to week one, uh, only only three times. Has DJ Humphreys, Justin Pugh, Rodney Hudson, Josh Jones, and Kelvin Beecham started? Week one against Tennessee, week two against Minnesota, and week five against San Francisco. The other weeks, it was different. You know, I mean, you had, you had Murray in there in week three against Jacksonville. You had Max Garcia in there in week four against the Rams. You had Max Garcia in there in week six against Cleveland and seven against Houston. Sean Harlow against Green Bay in week eight with Beecham. Um, Hudson, Garcia, and Beecham all started against San Francisco this past week. Um, So, you know, you've just had a lot of different, uh, you know, changes to that offensive line. Now, the great thing is the depth. Look about the, the, the guys that are coming in and play, and a guy like Max Garcia being able to come in and play, that's a big deal. You know, you've got quality guys coming in. Murray and Garcia are quality. And I, and I, I've actually liked Harlow too, to be honest with I you. I have too. I think he's done a really good job. So the depth of this offensive line, this is the best depth I've seen the Cardinals ever have on offensive line ever. In all my time here, they've never had this quality of depth on the offensive line. Yeah, it's it's funny in looking at. I'm gonna I'm gonna. You'll see where I'm going with this here in a second. The 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 Panthers offensive line. All right. Uh, and we didn't get to this yet. Their offensive line took a couple of hits on Monday. It yeah. was announced that their starting center, Matt Paredes, is out with a torn ACL. And their left tackle, Cam Irving, is, was put on the IR as well Two with a calf injury. Two starters on their offensive line. And, and I read this line, and I'm going to tie this back to the Cardinals here in just a second. The injuries mean, they write in The Athletic, that the Panthers will start their seventh offensive line combination at Arizona. Normally, when you say those words, when you write those words, and you're talking about a football team, it's doom. It's done. It's seventh offensive line. Forget it. Done. Over. This is the, we've seen, what, six different combinations on the offensive line for the Cardinals, right? And then four, five, six, seven. Is it six different combinations? You've you've had the same starters three times. And so then they played nine games. So nine minus three six. is six. Seven different. Seven. So, seven different. So they've had seven different two. But look at how different. They, yeah, because Harlow has started games. Garcia started games. Beecham started games. Hudson. You, yeah, you. Uh, I'd like. I'd have to see if any of the starting lineups with the backups were the same. But for the most part, the the what they went into yeah, the season with. You've only had those guys in week one, week two, and week five. I'm looking at your email. It's six okay. different combinations. Okay. Humphreys, Pugh, Hudson, Jones, and Beecham started in weeks one, weeks two, weeks five. Week three, they have a different lineup. Week four, they had a different offensive line lineup. Week six and seven, they had the same offensive line lineup in those same two weeks, but it was different than previous right. ones. Week eight, they had a different one. Week nine, they had a different one. So one, two, three, four, five. Six different wow. combinations. So, and my point is, and it took me a while to get there, here are the Panthers, seven different combinations on the offensive line. Typically, you say that about a team, you're talking about football death, right? That's it. Forget it. They're done. The Cardinals are on their sixth different offensive line combination, and the unit is thriving to the point where, and I'm going to tie this in here, 
Total quarterback hits allowed through week nine so far this season. Arizona has allowed the fewest. Now, some of that is Kyler. How many is it? 24? 27. 27. 27 quarterback hits allowed. Obviously, some of that is Kyler and his ability to escape that and buy himself time. I think five was Colt McCoy by himself this past week. Five what? I think he had five quarterback hits on him. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think Colt got hit had five quarterback hits. I believe you're right. So you Which, take that. Murray's only had 22. He's only had 22. So some of that is Kyler. Yeah. But some of it, too, is an offensive line that his, and, and it's funny, the one constant in all of it has been DJ Humphreys on the left tackle. Hasn't been Hudson. Because he's missed some time, obviously. Jones is over 90% on the snaps, but he got replaced this last week. Remember, I mean, Max, we, we talked, we speculated on this for a while that once they got Hudson back, it gave them the opportunity to move Max Garcia, and, and they, they didn't did. waste any time. Nope, they, they did. Max Garcia as the starter at the right guard position until he got hurt. He re-aggravated his Achilles injury, and they had to put Josh Jones back in, and yet the offensive line still got it done. It has been remarkable. The depth they've had there, the ability to dig deep on that line the way that they've had to, starting Sean Harlow at center. Last week we saw him starting at left, not starting at left guard, but filling in for Pew at left guard. He had that great pull, pull block great on pull block. the Connor touchdown run. A, a, I mean, great it's, play. It's, it's Kugler. It's the depth. It's Kyler becoming even more comfortable back there. We said it going into the season that we have never felt as good about a Cardinals offensive line as we do about this one, and so far it is proving to be the case. Cliff said it. It all starts with you know, with Coach Kugler and the rapport that he's developed in that room. That was the most important hire for the Cliff Kingsbury coaching staff with Sean Kugler. I've got that cut. Let me play that here for you. Yeah, Max. Um, you know he kind of battled through uh, the the lingering injury that he had. Pew will be day to day, and as far as that group goes. Uh, you know, it all starts with, with Coach Kugler and um, the rapport that he's developed in that room, the culture he, he has in that room. It, it's next man, man up mentality. And having a, a great leader and a great communicator like Rodney obviously helps when you have go, guys go down and get people pointing in the right direction. But, um, yeah, what, what a great effort by those guys. No matter who goes in, they continue to produce and, and move the football. To the point where the Cardinals offense is fifth in the NFL in yards per game, Sixth in yards per play, eighth in rushing yards per game, ninth in net passing yards per game, first in net passing yards per play, seventh in first down, seventh in third down efficiency, fifth in red zone touchdowns. I mean, he just goes on and on and on. You're talking about one of the best offenses in the NFL, and it's not like they're running the same offensive line combination. But it really is the guys that are coming in are not missing a beat. Yeah, You know, you're not bringing in some sixth-round pick with no experience to go play guard, and the other team's taking advantage of that and blowing that guy up and forcing all the, the guys you're bringing in, whether it's Murray, whether it's Harlow, whether it's Garcia, these guys are good. Like, they're good players. You're not you're not struggling when these guys come in. It's a solid offensive line. you got to give them a lot of credit for how they built it. Texas, your thoughts on the Cardinals roster and this upcoming game against the Panthers? The FanDuel text line is open for you, as always, at 620-620. Right now, the NFC West has not lived up to those really high expectations we had going into the season, at least not through the first nine weeks. Could the return of one guy change all that? His head coach thinks, though. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. We'll talk about the NFC West in 30 seconds, just real quick. Matt Barkley, thoughts? <laughs> 
Listen, God bless him, man. I mean, that guy's you know, that guy has carved out a career in the uh, in the NFL. How many years has he played now? I just Barkley. googled Matt Barkley career earnings. I want to see how much money he's made in his career. Matt Barkley has okay, not as much as I th- thought. Matt Barkley's made about nine million dollars in his okay. career. Okay, how many years has he played? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This is his ninth season. Okay, this is ninth. So basically, a million dollars a year. What I remember about him too is that there was somebody in the media that tied the Arizona Cardinals to Matt Barkley in that draft. Who Do you remember that? that? Yeah, I remember. There that. There was somebody was that it? was the the Cardinal. He was guaranteeing that the Cardinals were going to draft Matt, Matt Barkley. Barkley's not getting past. He's not getting past the, the Arizona, Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals. And whatever number it was that they were picking. Oh my God, who was? I can't remember, I can't who, remember it was. who it was. I can't remember who it was. But there was somebody that guaranteed somebody that in the he national was... media who was just insistent. That Matt Barkley was not getting past the Arizona Cardinals, right? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember who that was. Yeah, it looks like he's played. Looks like he's been in the league nine years. Looks like he's made about nine million dollars. And Matt Barkley just got signed. If you missed, it, if you didn't hear Mitch's Sports Center update, he just signed with the Panthers. Now they haven't said anything about Sam Darnold yet, but I, I think one can wonder that maybe they're preparing themselves for Sam Darnold not being able to play I, so they can have a backup. I was working on getting you guys more Matt Rule sound for when you circle back to it, but this is what he told reporters yesterday. Sam, you know, obviously was sore after the game uh, in, in his shoulder. Um, he's uh, uh, getting a, an MRI uh, uh, this morning or had one this morning, so we'll wait to see exactly where he is health-wise uh, moving forward. All right. I, I want to know how they are health-wise after guaranteeing him $18 million next year. How are you guys health wise? How are you doing, Matt? You've just guaranteed a backup quarterback eighteen million dollars for next season. Ugh, jeez. How's your health? <laughs> Does that keep you up at night? Are High not, blood pressure. <laughs> Therapy on Burns and Gambo. No, seriously, seriously. seriously Imagine making that decision, knowing you've got eighteen million dollars on your books next year for your backup quarterback. Hopefully, he's got the. Uh, Calm app installed on his phone, and it it just it, just, it lulls him to sleep. Every What's those single things night? that you squeeze to kind of help you? You got one of those? Oh, you got a squeezy thing? Uh, yeah. You guys, Bernie's got a squeezy thing. I got one of those balls. Oh, one of those nice. Balls. We're, working, just, working there's a reason you, he brings it to work. Working with you has taught me oh, some things over the years. Man, yeah, every now and then when you're when you're doing wow. the gambo thing, sometimes just, I pull out the ball and I'm just, just like squeezing, squeezing it. it. All right. Squeeze the ball. Gambo's get through got this, the okay. pills and you've got the squeeze ball. <laughs> That's right. yeah. Gambo's got the pills. I just got the. Mine doesn't make any sound. I'm squeezing it into the microphone. It makes. This makes no sound. No sound. But every yeah. now and then, if you're getting on my nerves, man, I got so I many. This. I just take them like every like half hour. <laughs> I, I pull this thing out and I give it a workout. Anyway, uh, Matt Barkley uh, signing with the, uh, the with the Panthers now. Apparently, he was on the Titans practice squad, so they're going to have to put. Like him He's only made eight million dollars. He's been in the league for like nine years. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he's. Yeah. I mean. Only nine million dollars. <laughs> I you just think I for a guy to spend a league. You know, let's let's be let's keep this relative, right? Only nine yeah, million dollars. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you would think for somebody who's been in the league for that many years, they 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 yeah. probably made more than that. You would. Think it's a so. high paying job. Uh, all right, so we spent more than the thirty seconds I promised on the Matt Barkley news, but it's Liar. relevant given that the Panthers are coming to town this weekend. You would think. That means could mean that P.J. Walker is going to be the starter this week and Matt Barkley will be the backup since they have to put him 
on the active roster. They got Barkley off the Titans practice squad. They have to put him on the active roster. Yeah. I bet that means we will not see Sam Darnold this weekend. So more on that coming up in a little bit. Pete Carroll yesterday. Uh, typical Pete Carroll just gushing, gushing, gushing about having Russell Wilson this back. This is a remarkable story of recovery. And uh, <clears throat> really a, a guy set in intent that he was going to do this and pull it off. And I mean, he's way, way ahead of schedule. And uh, we just came off the practice field and he threw the ball all over the place. So he he um, he did really well for the first time out um, in a limited amount of plays. But um, I mean, everything about it, you know, we knew that Russ was going to go for it, and we didn't know, if, you know, if his body could respond, but it did. And uh, his team that worked with him and helped him through throughout um, did a remarkable job. And and uh, so, you know, we'll just go one day at a time, see how it goes. And, and I know he's thrilled to be back. Everybody's excited to see him back out here. And and uh, so it's. It's an amazing accomplishment to be back just throwing like he just did on the practice field. Out for three weeks. That was mm-hmm. it. That was all that he missed. He'll be back this weekend as the Seahawks 3-5 and five on the season, taking on the Green Bay Packers. We Who have he's no never idea. beat. Who he's never beat. He's never beat. Yeah. 0-4, all-time against the Green Bay Packers, I believe. Never beat the Packers. This is like the 49ers had a two-game stretch where they play the Cardinals and then the Rams. Yes. Seattle's two-game stretch is the Packers and the Cardinals. If neither one of those teams wins a game, done. Yeah, they're both done. done. Yeah. If you lose both, you got to split if you're San Fran. Now, I said, you know, we we talked about the Cardinals when they beat the 49ers. They may have buried them, put the fork in them. They got to come back and beat the Rams now. They don't beat the Rams, then they're really done. Seattle's got Green Bay on the road, and then they got to play the Cardinals. If they lose both of those games, they're done. Now, I know it's it's botched up. There's, there's so many different teams out there, but man, you're really running out of time because now you're in week, you know, for you're in week 11 after the Cardinal game. You're running out of time to make up the, the difference. I know this, you're not going to be that far out, but you're, you're going to have teams that are going to pass you in those weeks. Yeah, you're, there's, there's a big bunch up of teams. A big one. At yeah. the bottom of the NFC for that last wild card spot. Let's say Seattle loses both of these games, They're, okay. they, they'd be three and seven at that point. The the thought is that you might be able to get in the last spot with an eight and nine record. You know, as crazy as that sounds, you might be able to so get you the go last five and two. You gotta go five and two in your last mm. seven if you lose these next two. Right. So even with things being bunched up the way they are at the bottom of the NFC, Seattle's in a position where, yeah, if they get swept in these next two games, and they very well could, because I mean let's let's call it like it is. I okay, Geno Smith's no good. And there was probably at least one game in there they would have won if Russ were the quarterback instead of Geno Smith. But it's not like the Seahawks are playing lights-out football before Russell Wilson got hurt. So to just assume that he's going to come back and just like that, they're going to be the Seahawks of old, I think is a little wishful thinking coming out of the Pacific Northwest. I think you've got your four division winners. And then I think that the loser of Cardinals-Rams is in and the loser of Bucks saints is in. So that's, that's your six teams. The seventh team is the biggest crapshoot out there. Philly's in it. The Giants are in it. I mean, the Vikings are in it. The Bears are in it. The Falcons are in it. The Panthers are in it. Uh, that's why I'm saying. I mean, if you fall to, th- if these two teams fall to three and seven, you know, you're running out of time and you're going to be behind too many teams. This, you know, it's, it's always that thing when you look at the playoffs in baseball. It's not that you're only three, two games behind. It's that there's five other teams that are between you and that. And that's what's going to make it difficult for Seattle or San Francisco is that it's very likely in two weeks, if they both lose these games, 
that there's going to be five teams ahead of them for that seventh spot. Quickly in the Division Two, even though the Cardinals are done with them after sweeping them in the season series, Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle for the 49ers, he's out for the season, torn quadriceps muscle uh, that he suffered in the Cardinals' loss, so he is out for the year, and, and it does kind of circle us back. Even though the Cardinals are done with the 49ers and we don't have to worry about them much anymore, man, there was a pretty scathing column on ProFootballTalk.com about the 49ers and the headline of it was the 49ers aren't what they were supposed to be. They've lost eight straight home games. They haven't won a home game with fans in the building since they beat the Packers in the 2019 NFC title game. They point out that if you take out the 13-3 and record from 2019, okay, just take it out, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are 19-37. and well, You know what? I, I, and I, I know that because we talked about it yesterday. They've had four losing seasons. Uh, and they only had the one thing. The thing that fascinates me is the amount uh, is the contracts that those guys are under. That was in your story. Those guys are set for the next four years. Yeah. So because I was even thinking, I wonder if the 49ers would go after Vance Joseph. I wonder if the 49ers would look at Vance and say, "That guy could be my head coach. That's a leader. That's the guy I want." The, I don't think that they're going to make any changes. Their GM and coach are locked up through, was it through 2025? Correct, yes. So they've got to go all of 22, 23, 24. It's four years. Yeah, three years after each signing six-year deals. They each, Shanahan and Lynch, receive three-year extensions. So they're locked up through 2025. I don't think you could fire them. And so depending on how much of those contracts are fully guaranteed, in case of a firing, it would seem to very much lock the 49ers into those guys for at least a couple of more years. And, of course, by drafting Trey Lance, you've kind of bought yourself a couple more years if you're Kyle Shanahan because you can always say, hey, look, we drafted a really raw quarterback. You've got to give me time to develop this guy. Whether the owner buys that or not, I don't know. But it's kind of a built-in excuse that you have when you draft a younger quarterback. You can say, well... Come on, guys. I mean, you got to give me a couple of years to get this guy up to speed and where we want him to be. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that excuse doesn't work. You know, we were both right this year. I said Seattle was going to suck, and you thought San Francisco was going to suck. They both stink. They both stink. They're not good football teams. Yeah, neither one of them. The battle for who's going to be last place in the, in the NFC West is going to be one of those two teams. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, it was important for ASU and for Herm Edwards to get the win on Saturday against USC. Was it enough to save him from a potential firing? That's coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. We were talking about ASU football a little earlier in the show. Their win over USC last weekend. Rashad White played well. Jaden Daniels didn't. ASU finally ended that losing streak. ASU got back in the win column. You know, the, 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 their chances of, imp- of being in a better bowl are getting better with each win, right? And, and maybe it's the Holiday Bowl. Maybe it's, you know, it, it, the Rose Bowl is still, I mean, such a long shot. Utah basically has the Pac-12 South completely locked up, save for some absolute total collapse or disaster. But ASU's trying to kind of get back on the right track for at least a good bowl appearance. It might not be what everybody wants, Everybody kind of had Rose Bowl or bust expectations for the season, and I don't know if the Holiday Bowl or or the Vegas Alamo Bowl, Bowl or... the Alamo Bowl keeps anybody warm this offseason, but, but we'll see. It is going to be potentially a very newsy offseason for ASU football when this season is done, which with whatever bowl they play in. And, and our buddy John Wilner at the San Jose Mercury News noted in his column today 
there could be as many as five coaching changes in the Pac-12, and perhaps as many as six or seven if, like, a Kyle Whittingham decides to retire because he's 60-something years old, or if um, somebody comes knocking on the door for Mario Cristobal, say, like, LSU, yeah, that maybe there could be, like, seven openings potentially in the Pac-12 this offseason. So you know for for sure USC's got an opening. You know for sure Washington State has an opening because their coach uh, didn't comply with the state's COVID vaccine mandate, so he's gone. you got to expect that Washington's going to move on from Jimmy Lake. Mm-hmm. He Thanks. just punched a kid. I think they'll move on from him. And then you look at, they have, uh, you know, they have, number four, they have ASU Herm Edwards. And it says, Edwards' future at the helm is in doubt because of an NCAA investigation into recruiting violations during a pandemic. We know that. The school already has placed three assistants on paid leave and its chief recruiter off the road. You don't take those steps if the allegations are unfounded. And says, what's next? The hotline believes a change in Tempe is likely. Either the 67-year-old Edwards will be forced to resign because of the violations or he'll decide enough is enough and retire after four years, one pandemic, and several unseemly uh, unseemly allegations against his program. And then I mentioned Chip Kelly is number five, that he is, his seat is toasty, and then Justin Wilcox at, at six is cool. So only five, they say, are you know, toasty to hot to warm. But Herm Edwards and ASU is, look, I mean, I could see it. I mean, I could see Herm just retire, deciding to retire um, at, at that point, you know, after the season. Let's see what happens. They got some games left to play in a bowl game. Now, how they play in these next two few games could determine whether they even want him back. You know, that could determine whether they want, want Herm. Now, they had a nice win again. If they would have lost that game to USC, I mean, I think the nail's in the coffin. He's not coming back. They won the game against USC. Let's see how they finish. You know, maybe they can justify bringing him back, especially if the investigation goes unfounded. Yeah. But if not, if they lose a game here and they end up in one of those, you know, mediocre bowl games, I think people are going to demand change. I mean, I got, I got so many, my head's just going in so many different directions when I think about this because I, I wonder about hypotheticals that aren't going to happen. And I can't help but thinking about it. I, I wonder hypothetically, had there been no allegations, right, and, and had none of this come up, would Herm had retired anyway and handed the keys to the program over to Antonio Pierce? Would this have been his walk year if if he felt like the program was in good hands and Antonio Pierce was was ready to go? Uh, then hypothetically, I think about the other direction. If they decide that they don't really want Herm back and Herm kind of reads the writing on the wall, the problem now is that your coach-in-waiting can't be your coach-in-waiting anymore unless – he is completely exonerated of any charges. But even then, do you still give Antonio Pierce the keys to this program, even if he is exonerated? I I, I don't know. And he scrubbed his social media accounts with all references to ASU because they took him off the road because he was unhappy Would about that. Would he still that. want it? I, that's what I'm asking. I Would he still want so it? So much of this is based off of hypothetically this and hypothetically that. And I, I don't know the answer to any of it other than... I think when it's all said and done, we are entering the final few weeks of Herm Edwards' tenure as head coach of ASU, and I have literally no idea what happens after that. Okay, let's None. let's let's take it a step further. It's a, it's almost like a rebuilding next year. You have so many kids that are leaving. Your entire defense is leaving. Your entire defense is gone. You 
have a, a, a very small recruiting base. You talked about it. They're 12th in the Pac-12 right now in recruiting. Yeah. They, they've lost six, seven recruits. They just lost one yesterday. Um, so they've lost. So you don't have a good recruiting. You know, does Herm want to go through that? They're going to lose next year. They're going to lose. Yeah. You know, you're losing your, your entire deal. All those guys are seniors. Almost all of them are seniors. You're losing a lot of guys. Do you want to go through that? It's a rebuild. It's kind of like a rebuild. It's going to take a few years. Yep. And you were hoping you'd have a good, you know, freshman class that could. Now, the route you could go is JC. You know, transfers transfer JC. Portal, transfer JC. JC. Yeah. yeah, everybody's in a transfer portal now. Any, any kid that doesn't win a job, they just quit and they want to transfer because that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's today's kids. You got beat out? I quit. You want to try to beat the kid out? Nope. I'm not, if, I, if, you, if you don't name me the starter, I'm transferring. That's today's day and age. That's why so many kids are in the transfer portal. It's insane. So you could go that route to try to, you know, try to build a decent team. Yeah. But again, how many of those kids are going to want to come here if there's – that's why this investigation just needs to be over. Get it over with. Yeah. The longer it goes on, the longer it goes on, and the longer that this current coaching staff is in place, you know how easy it is to negatively recruit against them out there on the recruiting trail. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's I'd just, rather it's just so easy to tell a kid, man, why are you going there? That's you know? why. Like, the, 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 should they have owned it six, seven weeks ago? We did this, this, and this. There were violations. We made a terrible mistake. We miscalculated. We brought kids in during the pandemic when we weren't supposed to. Okay, what's the punishment? We totally admit it. Like, okay, guilty is charged. The, like, the, pu- the punishment would have been you wouldn't have had a coaching staff this year. You, the, the punishment would have been that you would have gone into the season without without a who? giant, certainly without Antonio Pierce, if the allegations are to be believed, possibly without Herm Edwards, because ultimately he is responsible yeah. for the state of the program. And I, I guess you did that all in the name of this was going to be a special year. Yes. And it's not. You did that all in the name of, okay, let's see if we can go to the Rose Bowl before everything comes crashing down on us, mm-hmm. and you're not. And, yeah. and and so now it's... If you would have again, known that this was not going to be a special season, you might have wanted to get out in front of it. allegations, nothing's been proven yet, but it does make for a real dicey situation for them. When we come back, Phoenix Suns got their fifth win in a row last night, but it was a lot tougher than it should have been. We'll tell you about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show.